trading in futures products entails significant risk of loss, which must be understood prior to trading and may not be appropriate for all investors. Please contact your account representative for more information on these risks. Past performance is not indicative of future results. and other stuff, you've come to the right place. Welcome to the Grain Markets and Other Stuff Podcast. Here's your host, Joe Baklovic. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Grain Markets and Other Stuff. Thank you for joining me. Um, this this episode today falls certainly in the Other Stuff uh, segment of the podcast and the YouTube channel. We're going to talk about cryptocurrency. And as I've done in the past when I had guests on the show, I tried to bring in people who I considered to be experts in the field. Uh, when I talked about China, we had Ken Morrison on. When I talked about knowing your numbers on the farm, I had Chris Barron. When we talked about crop insurance, I had Steve Johnson. Today, I have my friend Andrew on the show. And Andrew, as, as far as people that I know, um, probably has more knowledge uh, about cryptocurrency, about the the mechanisms, the setup, um, the logic behind it, probably more so than anybody that I know personally. Um, so we're going to kind of run through a list of questions here. I'm going to, to some extent, play devil's advocate um, uh, to cryptocurrency and, and try to kind of poke holes in some of the logic here. Um, but my, my general thought is this is a hot topic. It's in the news this week. And that's where we're going to start. Um, Elon Musk, Twitter, or not Twitter, Elon Musk and uh, Tesla uh, bought a whole bunch of Bitcoin uh, just uh, today, I think they reported, Andrew. Yeah, it was uh, $1.4 billion. It seems like a growing trend of corporations are starting to put uh, Bitcoin and especially Bitcoin on their corporate balance sheet. And they're not the only one. Um, Jack from Twitter has a big interest in Bitcoin through Square. Mm -hmm. um, Michael Saylor uh, manages or owns MicroStrategy, which is also a publicly traded company whose balance mm -hmm. sheet is is hugely heavy into Bitcoin. Yeah, definitely. And it's definitely a new thing as you see institutions starting to get into Bitcoin. And whereas before it was kind of retail and just smaller buyers of Bitcoin. And now you're starting to see these big companies get into it. And it seems like um, the the money managers out there, like hedge funds, uh, pension funds, you know, just generalized institutional money has an interest in this thing. And, and maybe it's because it's, it's an asset that's outperformed pretty much everything the last, what, five or 10 years? I mean, is that accurate? Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it, the, the compound, uh, the co the compound growth has been 30 to 200% in year over year basically in the past decade so it's grown hugely so i want to talk about one of the big kind of 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 things that makes bitcoin attractive and this was my the next item on my list <clears throat> centralized versus decentralized and you know here in the united states the us dollar is what we would call a centralized currency, essentially. It's mm -hmm. it's controlled by a central bank or the U.S. government. That's kind of the central entity. Bitcoin is decentralized. What, what, is that, what does that mean? Well, basically, uh, you have two separate financial systems that are arising. You have the legacy, which the fiat currency financial system, uh, the legacy financial system, which relies on overall third parties, and when you have third parties at play, then, of course, you need to trust those third parties. Mm -hmm. Now, the interesting thing is when you have uh, 
cryptocurrency, which is basically relies on a blockchain. Uh, so just to simplify it, a blockchain is basically a public ledger. And it's just like relying on a, an accountant to keep the books. In this case, you have, uh, instead of relying on one certain, uh, basically, network to control the books, you rely on a distributed network that anybody can partake in, anybody can own, and then basically anybody can use the network. So it's uncensorable, it's unconfiscatable. And it's quite interesting because you have something like the Federal's, Federal Reserve, which is not federal and it has no reserves. And you actually have no way to verify how much US dollars are in circulation. Or even, for example, if your bank uh, comes to you and says, you know, you don't, let's say you had $5,000 in the bank and they tell you you have 1000 there would actually be no way for you to prove that you had that money. Whereas with the decentralized system, then you actually can verify it without trusting anybody. So a lot of it, I think, does come down to trust in that. Mm -hmm. Okay. So when you have a US dollar, your your trust is in the United States federal government, right? Exactly. When you you have Bitcoin, your trust is in this decentralized network. That's, That's the difference, right? Well, the well, there's a difference between uh, between just trusting something and having consensus with something. So, for example, you can say that you trust your bank, um, but you can't actually have a verified uh, thing like you can with Bitcoin. So with Bitcoin, you can actually go on the and see every single transaction that's ever happened. Um, So basically, every 10 minutes, there's. Uh, there's a, a record of the uh, in blocks, I guess I'm trying to keep it simple here. So every 10 minutes, there is these miners that record permanently on the Bitcoin blockchain, uh, the transactions that have ever occurred. And you can go out back and see any transaction that has ever occurred, which you can't do that with anything else. And with the dollar, um, it it's, seems like we don't have that. There's not total transparency in regard to the dollar. I mean, I think that people would be hard pressed to find out where every dollar of of government money goes to or um or really anything along those lines. I mean, it's just the the transparency like you mentioned is is not there. Um well people 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 might say how can you trust bitcoin and you don't have to trust bitcoin, you can verify anything is 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 my point. And you basically so as the legacy financial system, their their response to economic crises is, is to just print more money, and they've kind of proven that there's there's not going to be any austerity measures, um, and so you have from the legacy financial system, the centralized financial system, and the decentralized financial system, you have an inflationary policy versus a deflationary policy. Now, Bitcoin is capped at twenty one million uh, Bitcoin. And you can verify the monetary policy of Bitcoin because it's public code. It's open source, public code. Uh, And of course, to change the code, you have to rely on consensus. But otherwise, you can independently look at yourself. You can hire somebody to look at it for you. And it's not going to change unless the entire world agrees on that. So So the money printing thing seems to be one of the the cases for Bitcoin right now. Mm -hmm. And I put this, I put this quote on the screen. This is actually, this is from Michael Saylor's Twitter account. And Michael Saylor is, is uh, the micro strategy guy. And he has, I don't know how much Bitcoin he has, but it's a lot. He's one of the top holders that we're aware of anyways. But this is a quote from Ross L. Stevens, who I believe is a fund manager. He said, each U.S. citizen now has a choice. 
you can stay on the fiat fiat standard in which some people get to produce unlimited new units of money for free, just not you, or opt into the Bitcoin standard in which no one gets to do that, including you. Would you say that that's a good like argument for for what's actually going on here for what people are thinking? Yeah, definitely. I mean, what's really happening is 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 the digitization of money. Uh, so you can compare it to email where, for example, you used to have to go down to the to the post office and buy a stamp and send it. And that costs money. Well, with the third party uh, legacy of financial system, they have a lot of rent seeking behaviors where they they make a lot of money by just simply acting as that third party. Whereas when you have a decentralized system, it takes out that third party. So is is Bitcoin a currency? Is it a store of wealth? Is it both? Is it going to turn into a currency? Um, where do where do you think we'll be five to ten years from now with this? Yeah, I mean that's a very complicated question. I do think that Bitcoin is heading toward to be a global reserve currency, and you see that as well because I mean corporations. So first off, let me stop you there. That's yeah, yeah. That's a crazy thought that you just said. That's gonna that a lot of people will think is absolutely nuts. That Bitcoin is going to be a or the global reserve currency in the future. That's that's an off-the-wall um, uh, pred- prediction or idea, I think, for a lot of people who have spent their entire lives uh, spending dollars and working for dollars. I mean, it's a, it's a crazy thing to True. say. Yeah, I mean, I mean, well, the thing is, I mean, nobody knows the future, but but the cat's out of the bag, essentially. And with it's just like somebody saying that nobody's going to go on the computer and send an email. But look at, you know, look at where letter letter writing and letter sending is now. That's that's the way that's the way it's going. And and basically people want to, especially corporations, too. They want to be able to verify and trust that if they have a reserve of one hundred billion dollars, and the government is just printing money and devaluing that currency because it's basically a hidden tax, then they're going to find ways to preserve that wealth. And it's, it's more so of a, of a way to preserve the wealth than it is to just make a lot of money necessarily, because it's, how can you, how can you trust that they're not going to print more money? They've already proved that they're going to do that. So if you look at Bitcoin, uh, so one thing that you need to know about Bitcoin too, is that it has a stable, and predictable monetary policy. So every four years, there is less and less Bitcoin that are produced. Right now, there's 18.6 million Bitcoin. And the last Bitcoin that will be mined will be in uh, 2,140. So in about 120, uh, I guess, 119 years, the last Bitcoin will be mined. Well, that's a long time. Um, But what that means is every four years, there's less and less Bitcoin released every 10 minutes. So every day right now, there's 900 Bitcoin that are released into the world. And there, the demand is skyrocketing. So if you have Tesla buying you know, 20,000 Bitcoin or however, however much they bought, then the demand is not going to be met by the miners. So what that means is every four years, the, the amount of Bitcoin released is halved. So for the next 119 years, you have only 2.4 million Bitcoin that people will be fighting over. And it's basically a supply and demand issue at that point. 
So I guess that that's the question for a lot of people who are skeptics right now is that will people be fight, fighting over it or is mm-hmm. this is this just another asset bubble is this is this the tulip bubble is it the dot com bubble is it is it something along those lines I think that there are a lot of people there are a lot of very intelligent people who still maintain that exact belief that this is nothing more than a bubble Yeah I mean nobody can predict the future uh, but it's just I would I would say it's just very similar to the internet and to email. I mean, people thought email was the internet for a long time, but what people don't realize is this is programmable money, and you're not just going to see. First, you have to have the money aspect, and then everything else will come, and you'll see the rise of things like digital autonomous corporations, uh, and just you know, basically the whole internet could eventually be hosted on something once the value proposition is met. And of course, you know, it's game theory at play. Uh, But people forget too that fiat currency is an experiment as well. And history has shown that the average, uh, the average global currency or reserve currency lasts about 100 years um, before the government can't resist printing and devaluing that currency. And when you say that, like we're we're talking about, you know, coming off the gold standard back mm-hmm. what, 50, 60 years ago. And, yeah, 1971, and, I think it was. And, and now, so we went off the gold standard. And when the dollar was backed by gold, it was a totally different deal. And mm. now the dollar is backed by nothing but trust in the government. And they, like you said, they can print as much as they want. I wanted to play that video from Jay Powell about how he talked about money printing and how they can just do it endlessly. But um, I mean, that's that's like one of the big arguments for for Bitcoin is is the scarcity, um, the the transparency, um, all that sort of stuff. So um, you you very much I mean, you see this as being the future in your in your opinion. Well, I w- yes. I mean, we're going from the we're going from the analog to the digital world. Oh, sorry, I have, I have to take this off here. It's making some noise. I, I have a call, but I don't have my phone with me. No, you're fine. Okay, there we go. All right, so basically we're going from the analog to the digital world. And whereas you see the, you, you actually notice that throughout history, the rise of a reserve currency has always coincided with like a violent war. And the interesting thing in this part is that whereas the 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 reason that the reserve currency has risen is because you have a military that has a great offense. But I would liken that to now you have a digital currency and it doesn't actually have any offense. It's basically it has the world's strongest defense, if that makes any sense, mm-hmm. whereas it's totally decentralized. And Bitcoin will take over without firing a shot. And that's going to be because people opt out of the legacy financial system and they're going to opt in to basically Bitcoin. And nothing, of course, people are always attacking Bitcoin. They're always trying to attack the network. There's hackers, there's scammers. Uh, but what what Bitcoin has is it's basically the world's largest computer network. And that's going to be used in many various and interesting ways over the next 50 years. And it's not just going to be money. So yeah, I do think that it's going to take over at some point. I mean, it already is. So I know that when, uh, when Elon came out with his, with his announcement in regard to Tesla, he said that they're going to begin accepting Bitcoin as payment. Is, is this mm-hmm. kind of like, and, and he's obviously think what you want about Tesla and how high their stock prices and all that, but that, that guy's a genius. And 
uh, he seems to think that this there is some future with this if he's making that statement. I mean, that's a pretty bold statement to make. So do you do you envision a future five to 10 years from now where we are actually paying for things with Bitcoin rather than with dollars? Um, that's a very interesting question. I would say that it's going to definitely, I mean, the dollars are definitely not going to disappear. You're going to have kind of a hybrid of the legacy financial system, uh, basically integrating with, uh, crypto because actually laws were passed that allow legacy financial institutions to hold, uh, Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies for their customers. Mm-hmm. So yeah, you're definitely going to see a hybrid at some point, but eventually people will realize, especially once they start using it and enter the space, that you don't really need the third party at a certain point. Uh, but that's going to be a process. It's not going to. It's just like it's just like people saying too um, that you know email or the internet was slow. You need a dial up modem. Well, I mean nowadays you have fiber optic cables, you have very fast internet, and it's not a problem. Well. As the adoption curve happens for cryptocurrency, then you're going to see those problems solved along the way. Because right now, for example, sending Bitcoin or sending Ethereum is very expensive. The fees are are just not uh, usable at a certain point. You know, mm-hmm. if, if it costs, for example, if it costs fifty dollars to send twenty five dollars of Bitcoin, then people are going to look at that and say, you know, we're not going to send it. Uh, but eventually, those problems will be solved. I think there are a lot of people that are interested in Bitcoin, but feel like they're late to the party at this point. Um, Bitcoin traded, what, $44,000 today. It was like $10,000 not that long ago. Um, not that I, I don't want to do anything in terms of like advising recommendations or, or anything like that. But uh, what what do you see in terms of <clears throat> the price of Bitcoin in, in dollar terms? I mean, five to 10 years down the road. I've, I've heard some of these guys like Michael Saylor thinks it's going to be three, four hundred thousand dollars of Bitcoin or, or more. Um, and, and there are a lot of the, the pro Bitcoin type people that that share that opinion. Are, are you in that camp or do you not even care so much about the relationship to the dollar? Uh, well, I mean, of course, of course, you know, people are interested in the dollar price. I wouldn't really necessarily make a price prediction um, because I, you know, of course, as I say, nobody knows the future. Uh, but I, yeah, I mean, it's, I just see it trending up because you have, you have an inflationary asset, the US dollar versus a deflationary one. And as there's more scarce Bitcoin, then it has to go up. So I, I just don't see how that couldn't happen. To uh, to poke holes in some of this, I mean, some of the mm-hmm. arguments that you get from from people who don't believe in this thing, and there are plenty of them. I might be one of those people for all I know. I, I don't know where I stand. Um, That's fine. People will say uh, Bitcoin is backed by nothing, whereas the dollar is backed by the U.S. government. I mean, is that a fair argument? Well, I would I would uh, I mean, I'm not trying to argue here necessarily a a position, but I would say that uh, you look at Facebook, for example, Facebook is just a website with computer servers (laughs) and people value that in billions of dollars. Well, the value of Bitcoin is the network and specifically the decentralized network that nobody necessarily owns, nobody controls. And it's that that allows it to be trustless. So, like for example, let's say let's talk about like wire transfer. If you wanted to send money somewhere, say to Africa or somewhere, uh, you know, outside of the U.S., then it's actually quite a problem. You have to trust that third party. Uh, if you wanted to send Bitcoin to anywhere in the world, you basically just have somebody download a wallet on their phone, and it's 
relatively cheap and there's nothing that you need to worry about in along the way you can immediately verify that it was sent there's no middleman there's no middleman yeah but that i mean people do worry that the government is going to step in and or something but you're you'd have to have mass coordination and even at this point i mean it would take it would take more wealth than all the governments have to fight bitcoin and you you know you'd have to have 180 countries coordinating so couldn't the U.S. I mean, couldn't the U.S. government come out and just say it's it's now illegal to hold Bitcoin? I mean, could could they do that? I, I'm no legal legal expert. I don't know if you are either. But yeah, I mean, they like, like like they did in prohibition, you know, I mean, it's people stop drinking. But yeah, I mean, other than that, there, yeah, there's of course the government can can ban it. But what's going to happen is you're going to have a government like the Argentinian government. You're going to have some government around the world that is going to make it. For example, Japan has made it a uh, usable currency. Um, if you look at a small country like Antigua, um, they've actually had a lot of problems with like gambling websites, and they've been cut off from the legacy financial institutions uh, for using that. And actually, from that, you've you've the whole country is starting to use something like Bitcoin cash or Bitcoin because mm-hmm. of that. So you're going to see that more and more. And, you know, it's not the U S is it's easy to, to trust the banks and there's much less corruption than around other parts of the world. But yeah, it's a, it, it's a tricky thing. I've heard, I've heard it people is. say that Bitcoin's a Ponzi scheme because we don't know who invented it. It's a group of computer people and they may just be sitting back watching this thing become inflated and they obviously own a big chunk of it um is is that is that an, a legitimate argument or is that not a legitimate argument because of the fact that everything is in fact totally transparent well yeah i mean it, it's open source code so i mean yeah basically it's not necessarily somebody can't go in so when people talk about a bitcoin hack or the the danger of bitcoin what they're actually talking about is is your wallet getting stolen which is user end error so uh which of course is still a huge problem um there are things like hardware wallets that can protect your coins but it's not the actual bitcoin network that that is at risk it's the user end error or let's say you hold your coins on the internet well then then somebody could steal your email password or your crypto password and that's how they're that's how they're losing it so there is some level of personal responsibility in using crypto uh but yeah there are um there are people out there that that we refer to as bitcoin whales there are some people mm. or some wallet addresses is the only thing that we know that hold yeah, exactly. like a really substantial amount of bitcoin relative to what's available is that a problem that so much of this is held by uh such as a, a small percentage of, of the population or the globe i mean is that an issue that you see uh, b- being problematic yeah i mean well i guess I guess over time, you're actually seeing more, uh, more and more whale wallets. Uh, but you have to keep in mind that a lot of these whale wallets is actually big financial institutions and exchanges. Um, that so it's not necessarily just one person holding that a thousand bitcoin. It could be an exchange that that holds a thousand bitcoin in a wallet, but it's actually thousands of people that own it on their site. And when they take it out, then they're going to have to transfer that bitcoin. So. It, it's actually over time, it's getting more and more distributed. This will be a, a, this is a, an easy question for you to answer, but I think I feel like people will ask this question. Um, the Bitcoin wallet address, you can actually see what that wallet's done. You can see what's mm-hmm. in it. You just don't know who owns it. 
True, true. It's pseudonymous. It's not totally anonymous. Um, and of course, they have things like Chainalysis that can analyze the uh, the distribution of that wallet, where it's gone, especially if they went to a centralized exchange or they use that to deposit uh, currency in a bank, then it's easily traceable. Uh, but there are other other cryptocurrencies that are solving that problem. Um, but actually, for a lot of people, it's not a problem because, for example, if you want to hold, uh, you know, a thousand Bitcoin for your company, then as long as it's secure and you know you you have the proper technical skills to secure that Bitcoin, then it's actually a good thing to hold it on your public balance sheet. People can verify it. People can see it, and I, I think that's a good thing. And it's it's not like your money, your dollars are totally private. I mean, anybody who works at the bank can pull up your information. Um, True, you know, you're making credit card transactions. I mean, your your U.S. dollars are, are <laughs> not by any means private. I mean, you well, may I, think that they are, and that your friends don't know how many U.S. dollars you have. But I mean, the banks the, the banks do, the brokerages true. do. They know what you got. Well, I mean, the, it, it is ironic that, for example, if you take a debit card or a credit card. All of your legacy financial information is available right there with with your number and your CVC code. Uh, to do that in Bitcoin would not would not be very smart because you're basically just giving them access to all of your entire accounts. You know, if a hacker just gets those those numbers, then they can do whatever they want with your accounts. And people people, if you compare that to Bitcoin, then it's actually highly insecure. I think a way that a lot of people are looking at Bitcoin, in in my view, is probably incorrect. I think a lot of people are looking at it and saying, "Okay, I want to buy it and then I want to sell it and get rich and make mm. a whole bunch of money." Right? Yeah, is, yeah. Is that the incorrect way to view this? Definitely. Yeah, I, I would say think of it as an inflation hedge because that's that's what you're seeing is is um, is people are so for example. Um, for example, as as the Federal Reserve, as the the governments, they cut rates, they print money. Um, it leads to inflation, so people are going to be looking for inflation hedges to protect themselves against that. Uh, and basically, you're seeing corporations do that in a large scale, but individuals can do that for their own assets as well. Mm-hmm. So this is a this is a way, and and there are a lot of ways you can hedge yourself against inflation, not just Bitcoin. Of course, I'm, of course, I mean, assets. Yeah, you look at the financial markets today, and you know. The stock market is essentially a hedge against inflation. It's mm-hmm. it's priced in U.S. dollars. Commodities, uh, to some extent, are a hedge against inflation. Uh, people would say gold and silver, maybe real estate, land, uh, mm-hmm. that sort of thing. But this is this is uh, actually something that's a little bit more accessible to the general public. I mean, you can it buy is. bitcoins and you can buy bitcoin in, in any amount that you want. You could go buy five dollars worth of bitcoin, or you could mm-hmm. buy five million dollars worth of bitcoin. It's not like real estate where you need to have tens of thousands of dollars to get involved or um, mm-hmm. some of these other markets that, that we discussed. I mean, you don't need to be a big guy to get involved in this. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you can DCA in at, at 50 cents a week if you wanted to. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, personally, I, I don't necessarily recommend anybody to buy Bitcoin until they've spent time to actually understand what it is they're buying. Uh, and you can you can just understand the overall general specifics of it. You don't have to go into the code, but definitely I wouldn't recommend anybody buy Bitcoin until they actually understand what it is they're buying. I wanted to talk about some of the uh, alternative coins out there, the altcoins, mm-hmm. as, as they're called. Yeah. Um, I think that, as, as we've discussed before, some of them, you believe, have some value. 
Uh, some of them are probably total junk. I've made the comparison to 1999, and I said this yeah. is the tech bubble, and there's going to be a couple yeah. of them, Google and Amazon and Yahoo, whoever, that end up being huge, but a lot of them are going to end up being nothing is kind of the way I have thought about it, and, th- and that may be totally flawed. Um, is, is that Do you think that's close to reality? That's definitely, yeah. Well, it's interesting. It actually, it actually comes back to, um, to the Bitcoin thing where we were talking about the value of Bitcoin and it, it basically comes down to the value of the network. Uh, so basically the, the early coins like Bitcoin and Ethereum, um, you actually notice that those are the top two coins and that's because their network is the most valuable. And it's basically, I guess Paul Tudor Jones said that it's the fastest horse in the race. And the reason for that is because when you have something like Bitcoin that has a humongous decentralized computer network, and that's the value of it, then people are going to start using that. And because it is code, it's not like a physical corporation, then you can actually program whatever you need into that network. And that's what you're seeing happen uh, with both Ethereum and Bitcoin. Now, you have a lot of these other coins, uh, and they do have some use cases that are trying to be a part of the crypto network. But I mean, the vast majority of them are scams, and actually they're scams to get your Bitcoin. So what they're hoping to do is uh, open their coin, and then you know they get 100 Bitcoin to fund their project, but then they just keep the Bitcoin, and the project kind of stagnates. And you're seeing that actually a lot, so you have to be careful. We love talking about risk here on this uh, podcast in particular. So uh, listen to that advice, guys. This Some of these other coins floating out there uh, can be problematic. They can be scams. They can be mm-hmm. basically gateways to actually access your Bitcoin, which is which is the end game for some of these is just to get mm-hmm. access to your Bitcoin and have it. <laughs> exactly. And then you'll, you'll wake up one day and it's gone, right? Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, a a perfect example is EOS, uh, EOS EOS.io. They're actually sitting on their their market cap is about three billion dollars. They had an ICO in 2017 during the last bull run um, where people were kind of in a mania. And the the irony of that company is that they've completely stagnated. Um, The the coin is sitting about three dollars. Their market cap is is three billion dollars. But they're actually sitting on as a private company um, about six point five billion dollars the Bitcoin. They have 140,000 Bitcoin on their balance sheet. And so there's a lot of people talking about that. You know, it's a perfect example of they promise that, oh, we're going to do all this stuff. We're going to do that. And you have to be careful because any promise that basically you you don't want to be part of of these companies and the, these kind of scams that promise the world. And there's no promise that they're going to deliver and they end up with your Bitcoin. And that's that's their whole goal, essentially. Guys, we did about enough as we can probably do in half an hour here. But I think that some of the most important advice was what Andrew said. Don't buy this stuff unless you've done your research and you've done your due diligence and you have decided for yourself that this is something for you. There's this isn't a futures product, so I'm not required to give you any sort of disclaimer. But I'm going to tell you anyways, there's there is obviously tremendous risk in this stuff, um, just as there is in in just about any other uh, financial product or currency or whatever you want to call it. Um, If you guys have any questions, uh, you can comment in the uh, YouTube comments and uh, I probably won't be able to answer all of them, but I know Andrew will. So I can get you over. I can get those questions over to him and get you some answers. You can send me an email to uh, info at standardgrain.com if you're listening on the podcast and you have questions. Uh, Andrew, thanks, buddy. Appreciate it. Thanks for having me. Yeah, we'll see you guys next time. Bye.